Life is funny sometimes, isn't it? Depending on your perspective. You know, I decided to change the format of my podcast and go a little bit different with how I was doing it. And the reason why I did that was my assistant and I put together uh, an email to send out to different real estate agents. I'm in the mortgage business. And we came up with this list and sent it out. And an agent that I had worked with about 10 years ago responded. And she said, you're back from the dead. (laughs) It's kind of funny. I didn't guess I realized that I was dead. Um, Maybe just to her, I don't know. But over the past 10 years, I've been working diligently, trying to help people in different aspects of their life, specifically with credit and helping them understand debt management and what that's like. So I thought with this podcast that we would go a different direction and I would speak specifically to my story of what I did to pull myself through it to get to the other side because I have talked to some people about this before just briefly and they don't understand (laughs) so there's a lot to cover so I figured I would break it down into several episodes so if you're struggling with debt or credit just in life in general or you know of someone that might be or you're just nosy this could be the podcast for you so how did all this happen this debt and what's my background where did all this come from well I got a few things that are pretty exciting that happened in my life and a lot of bad things that happened in my life. I've had many financial ups and downs, some really cool things, and then the bad things. Some of the cool things include, at the time, a marriage with kids, about a 5,000 foot square or 5,000 square foot house, three SUVs, motorcycle. Some cool stuff. At one point, I had a little appearance in Time Magazine, the Wall Street Journal. I've been interviewed on different radio shows across the country. And, you know, not national shows, nothing that cool. But some good stuff. And during the time I was doing this, I... I, owned a mortgage company with a few other guys and we were very successful which I don't think is a stretch because there was a lot of successful mortgage people in the industry during that time and I'm talking about those early 2000s up until the bubble burst in 2008 and that is when my life both personally and financially took a shit. 
a big one. So let's talk about some of those cool things. So you have a background on what I went through. So when I tell you how I got through it, you'll know where it came from. So during this time of being this successful mortgage guy, like many of us, you couldn't print money fast enough. I could, it it was, you know, to be honest with you back then, or in comparison, people often are perplexed when an athlete goes bankrupt. What they fail to realize is when you don't come from money and you've never had it before and then you get it and things are going well, you fail to plan for the rainy day. You think it's nothing but sunshine and rainbows. And that was a mistake that I made, like many others. And that's a lot of professional athletes, actors, and regular people make that mistake all the time. It doesn't matter if you make a million dollars a year or if you make $30,000 a year. If you're not trying to figure out how to plan for a rainy day and that rain comes, it can take you out or damn near close. And that was me all the way. I didn't plan for a rainy day. I didn't even plan for sprinkles, to be honest with you. It was crazy. I had this big old house. These vehicles, I own part of a commercial building with my partners. Things were unbelievable. Was I happy? I don't know, probably on the outside. I don't know that at that point in my life I was ever truly happy internally. But that's probably a different podcast. Where I screwed up, where many others screwed up that rainy day was when the bubble burst and when that bubble burst it was a tsunami of financial ruin throughout the country the twin cities in minnesota where i live was severely impacted I heard a number of over 4,000 unemployed mortgage real estate and title professionals, and that all probably happened within 30 to 60 days of each other. Imagine the market back then if you were if you were around and what was happening. Lenders were closing their doors every day, and then a job market gets flooded with all those people looking for jobs, trying to keep their lives on track. And here's me, Huddy. No college degree. No real skills, except I can sell stuff. 
trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And part of this whole issue that I was dealing with was ego, pride, a lot of self-worth, which having self-worth isn't bad, but I think having as much self-worth or as much as I thought of myself was really bad. It's the old seven foot tall and bulletproof. That was me. When all of this happened, I made a lot of poor decisions. Not just not planning for that rainy day. But life decisions. Spending money. Hanging out with the wrong people. Doing some bad things and making excuses. Not illegal things, but drinking too much and all that kind of stuff. Spending money I didn't have. Doing things that that weren't helpful. They weren't helpful for my kids, to my family, to me, to anyone around me. They were not helpful to anyone. And I was the one playing the blame game and creating excuses. I was creating excuses that... You know, of course, there's the obvious ones. Well, you know, the bubble burst. The market. Oh, my gosh, it's insanity right now. You try to close a loan, and the lender closes their doors. Home values are bottoming out. People are upside down. Foreclosure rates are crazy. Yes, that was true. Yes, it's true. Many, many people lost their jobs and were out looking for work. But there were people that continued to stay in real estate, that continued to stay in the mortgage business, title companies, everything related to it, that continued to exist. They dug in, worked harder, didn't make excuses, and continued. Not me. (laughs) I was on fire. And the people I was hanging around with were all too all too excited to welcome me into their pity party. Well, of course, have some drinks. Yeah, we should all just drink and do nothing because what else are we going to do? We can't get a job. The market's horrible. We can't make payments. We have nothing else better to do or else to do but we're going to sit at the bar and drink and that's how we're going to solve the world's problems a lot of us have been there some of us still might be who knows but I can tell you that through all that I did make it to the other side But it wasn't until I fully realized what that was going to take 
and who was ultimately responsible for this entire mess. It wasn't just the market or the bubble bursting I blamed. I blamed my ex-wife. I blame my kids. I blame my mom. I blame my dad. I blame my girlfriend. I blame my grandpa. I blame my sister. I blame the people I was around. I blamed everybody. I blame the system. Might have had a little legal problems going on along with all that. I like to drink and drive a little bit. I used to. Long time ago now, thank God. But I had a lot of anger and a lot of blame. And it took me a while to realize that the only one responsible for the decisions I made, for the actions I took, was me. The cars, the SUVs, whatever you want to call them, all three of them repossessed. All by the same guy, ironically. We'll call him Jeff. Jeff was a super nice guy. Jeff, well, he would just pick up one at a time because he was trying to buy me time because he knew what was going on just in the Twin Cities in that area. He was picking up really nice cars every single day. Nice cars, nice trucks, nice SUVs. My Denali was a $60,000 Denali. My my wife at the time, hers was 45 or 50. I had an Eddie Bauer Jeep. I don't even remember how much that was. The Indian motorcycle had to go back. You know, and Jeff picked them all up one at a time until I could try to figure something out because the same bank had all the loans. And it wasn't their fault. That's the other thing. People, including myself, blame the banks. Well, the banks borrowed the money. They shouldn't have done that. The loan officers shouldn't have given that loan. The real estate agent shouldn't have sold that house. And maybe there's some truth to that, but ultimately the person that signs for it made the decision to do it. Unless a gun was to your head, you, me, the ones who signed, the ones that said yes are the ones that are fully responsible for that when I was going through some of those times and that big old house got foreclosed I wasn't present during that which was extremely difficult for me and the decision I made to not try and save it I was going through an extremely bitter divorce. I wasn't thinking of my children. I was only thinking, I can't afford that. She's not going to stay there. It was such a dark time in my life to be thinking that way. And I still have a, I can't forgive myself about that particular moment in time because I wasn't thinking of my kids' best interests. I was so angry towards her that my decision-making was so reckless. 
and I didn't accept any advice or help from anyone because of my ego and my pride. I had lost the trust of friends and family, except for my mom. My sister, she was out. (laughs) Can't blame her. Brother-in-law, same thing. Can't blame them at all. I can't blame anyone, to be honest with you, for not trusting me or or wanting to uh, hang out with me. <laughs> you know, it. Um, you know, my friends at the time were the people at the bar, and ironically, uh, years later, I went back to that bar. Those same people were there, but somebody else was in my seat, and they were all buddy buddies with him. And that's the crazy thing about that. I have the friends I lost. They came back. My sister came back. I have my kids. I have my girlfriend. I have a lot to be thankful for. But during that time, when I was blaming everybody else, and I wasn't taking responsibility for my financial ruin or my life, I had all that anger. You end up having nothing but time. Because nobody wants to hang out with you. Couldn't get a job, except for bouncing part-time. I'm a decent-sized human, so that was an easy gig to get. And it didn't pay very well, but it was something. And there are some different different things going on in my life um, through that divorce, some legal problems, losing my business, friendships. You know, you lose all that. Maybe you're not down that path but you are in financial ruin and it's causing a lot of stress in your life because that's what that does. And that financial stress that's in your life bleeds into your personal life, whether you like to admit it or not. It affects your decision-making. It affects everything. I had alienated everybody from my life, anyone that cared about me. I had borrowed money from friends and then wouldn't talk to them again. And I would do that because I was afraid that if I talked to them, they'd want to, they'd want their money back. And it wasn't thousands of dollars that I asked for. It would be a hundred bucks here, a hundred bucks there, but I didn't even have a hundred bucks to pay them back. I didn't even have 20 bucks to give them back because I felt like shit for taking that money, not making the right decisions with that money. And then not having it to give it back. So I lost these cars. I lost the house. I lost all the stuff. And that did not impact me the way you would think it would. It was really just me. Because at the time I was selfish. I wasn't thinking of my kids 
my ex-wife, you know, screw her, that mentality. And I wasn't working, so I really didn't need a car to go anywhere. I was I was living in my grandfather's basement. They were giving me food. And then an attorney friend of mine said, well, you need to provide some support for those kids to your ex-wife. We might have been separated at the time going through the divorce. So things are a little hazy at this time period. But there are certain things I remember. And one of the things that I specifically remember is trying to provide a vehicle for her and my kids. And I couldn't do it because who's going to give me a loan when they pull my credit and they see four repossessions and a foreclosure on my credit? You got to work hard to have, you know, a, a 482 FICO score. That took effort. So I tried to talk to my dad about helping out and taking a loan in his name and letting her drive the car. He agreed to do that, but then when the bank asked him who the car was for, he said it was for my son. And they said, that's not going to work for us. Apparently, you're not supposed to do that. So then I convinced my mother who grew, you know, I grew up with my mom and my sister and and it was really basically just the three of us. And I convinced her, this woman who busted her ass her entire life to support me and my sister, who never had much of anything except her kids. And she always gave us a roof over our head and, and got us what we needed. I convinced her to help me to go, let's go buy a van, a minivan for my soon to be ex-wife so she can cart those kids around and I'll make the payments. Cause I was under some grand illusion in this ego, this pride that I was going to be able to do that again, not realizing really where I was financially or willing to take responsibility for that or acknowledge where I was, that this was going to be a struggle. That lasted for about six months. I couldn't make the payments. They were about 412 bucks a month because for whatever reason, I thought she needed a super nice minivan because that's what we're used to is nice vehicles. Instead of getting something cheaper, I got something expensive. we parked that van at my grandpa's house so the repo guy could come and get it. I was there with my mother taking whatever was left in there that my kids left behind. You know, this was 2000, 2008, 2009. We were empty, emptying that out. You know, my kids were young, so they <laughs> got DVDs in there, blankets, a shoe, one random shoe. <laughs> that 
and two socks, one shoe. I don't know how that works, but that's you know young kids that that uh, you're, when you have young kids. By the way, your car it's like a graveyard for socks and shoes and sandals and weird articles of clothing. That's what your car is. It's a graveyard for those kids' stuff and things. So we emptied all that out. The repo guy, you know, he was super nice. Another nice repo guy. Again, these guys back then, they re- it's not like the TV shows all the time where they go to pick up the vehicle and there's a big fight and all that shit. These guys, you know, they got it. They, I, they understood who they were coming to pick up from. They understood that this was, um, you know, a circumstance that many people were going through. So as long as you agreed to let them come pick it up, everything was cool. Uh, they weren't in a rush. They actually helped get some of the stuff out of the van. They didn't just chuck it out of there. They just, they helped uh, get it out, which is an extremely awkward situation because you're looking at this rough and tumble kind of repo guy who, you know, I'm dressed nice. I got a short haircut, you know, I'm fit. And, and then you got the repo guy again, who's got scruffy face, long hair, cigarette hanging in his mouth. He's coming to pick up my car. He's probably got an 850 credit score, paid his house off. I mean, probably ultimately financially responsible. And you look at the outside, you know, it's like, okay, this guy's picking up a car from me. What the hell is wrong with me? And that's, that's when it really hit me that the repo guy, cause I talked to him a little bit and you know, they were super busy. There was no doubt about that, making a lot of money. And I asked him, I'm like, well, you know, what are you going to do with all this extra money you're making? He's like, I'm saving it. I don't know how long this is going to last. And when he left, my mom looked at me. She didn't yell at me. Just utter disappointment. And I could tell she felt sorry for me. And that's hard when when your parent, especially your mom, gives you that that look like I still love you, but you're a fuck up, but you're my fuck up, so you're good. But I'm extremely disappointed in you at the same time. It's the look, that look. I got that look quite a few times from my mother over this course of my course of period in my life because I was not making good decisions. But this is kind of the turning point when I decided that I needed to really start figuring it out. And things, things didn't get better fast. They didn't. I wasn't ready to let go of my ego. I wasn't ready to let go of, of my pride yet at this point, which for whatever reason may have helped a little bit, but I think it caused more unnecessary drama in my life than it probably needed to. So I decided I was going to dig in. I, I 
was going to straighten things out and do whatever, do whatever it, it took. So tried to get a job at a car dealership, by the way, if you've never sold cars, um, it, it's not, it, it's not what you think it is all the time. It's, I mean, you're not going down there to slick willies and he's going to send you a, sell you a, a, you know, a certified POS on four wheels. I mean, there, I know there's some of those places out there, but I was trying to get a job at a legit dealership that some guys that owned it, I played hockey with, they're from, from St. Paul, know them long time. So I roll in there thinking, Hey, I'm going to sell me some cars. I'm going to get my income going. I'm going to get, get my life back going a little bit. And so I went there had my interview with another guy from town that I knew. I mean, they all knew me at this place, so I figured this is this is a lock. So, and and also, by the way, I had convinced another dealership to sell me a car, and I would pay them monthly. <laughs> Buy here, pay here type of deal. Uh, 1996 Cadillac STS with 160,000 gently used miles. So I pull up to the dealership in this Cadillac and I parked towards the back because I was embarrassed of this golden beast. I walk in there and, and there's Matt and Maddie, you know, Maddie B. I'm like, dude, I'm here for the job. He says, all right, let's talk first. And I'm a little apprehensive because I'm like, well, aren't you just going to tell me, hey, sell, you know, like go sell those cars. This is easy. So we go back into this break room and he tells me that, all right, kid, Huddy, you are, um, I think we could, I, I think you could sell some cars. I think you could do this. I think you could be okay at it. And I'm thinking, okay, come on, man. Really? You know who I am. Come on. And he says, well, here's, there's going to be like a three-week training. Three-week training to sell cars. <laughs> okay, buddy. And he says, here's your material to study beforehand. And he hands me three binders, like the Trapper Keeper binders, but double the width. The big mamma jammas, like huge, huge suckers that are packed full of stuff, like materials that I had to look and read and get some sort of understanding of before this training. And I'm, I'm, I'm beside myself because, you know, I'm like, I got a, what? I can't, I can't, I don't know that I can do this. So, but I put my game face on and said, you're damn right, Maddie B. I'm going to go check these out and I'm going to learn it. And I'm going to be, I'm going to be ready. How much do I get paid? <laughs> And he's like, well, we're probably going to give you like 2000 a month as a draw. 
And then once you start selling cars, you'll pay that back. Something in two grand a month. I got to learn all this stuff. All right, I'll do whatever it takes, right? So I get out to the Cadillac with these binders, throw them in the back of the Cadillac. I drove back to my grandfather's house. And I was like, I can't, I can't do this. I thought this was going to be easy. And my whole thought process driving there was excitement and how I'm going to get money back and how I'm going to do this. This is going to be great. It's going to be easy. I own a business selling cars. Huh? No problem. It's easy. Had all that excitement, high energy, walk out of there, get in the Cadillac to straight out defeat. And that, and that, you know, when you're financially crushed, your emotions, that's how they go. You can be so high and then you can go so low in, in an instant. I mean, there really isn't much even keel when you're financially crushed because you think you finally have that big deal or you finally have the the thing, the thing that's going to solve your problems. That's going to get you back. And that drive home, you know, the air, it was a hot summer day. The air didn't work that great in that 1996 Cadillac. So I had the windows down. driving down driving down the road back to Gramps' house and I'm just confused, depressed, wondering what the hell am I going to do? And I sat in that depression for quite a while. Days. The dealership would call me and I would ignore the call. Cause they wanted to get me in training, you know, and I would just, I would flat out ignore it. I wasn't going to do it. And it wasn't that I felt I was better than people that sold cars. I actually felt they were way better than me because they were able to accomplish the material and the training and have success selling cars. And I was thinking, I can't even crack open this one of these binders to start looking at it. I am a complete and utter failure. I'm financially crushed. Now what? Because this ain't going to work. That compounded with the van getting repoed, which went directly against my mother's credit finally led me to believe that this is all unmanageable and I cannot pull this off on my own. I just, I can't do it. But who's going to help me at this point? I've alienated everybody and, and I, I can't do it. So with, without, without people, but I really don't have anyone because anyone that gives me money, it just goes away and it doesn't go back to them. So I'm really kind of screwed, right? 
So I'm trying to figure out how I can get my act together and what I really need to do. So I thought to myself, I'm like, all right, I'm really on my own here. Um, I went to the county. They put me on. They gave me some money for, like, food stamps, and then they gave me a couple gas cards to drive to interviews, which, you know, I got a couple of them, but I was extremely underqualified because I didn't have a degree. So I never got jobs. Plus, there, you know, there was so many people in the market looking for jobs at that time period. But because of what was happening, I was shifting this blame to me and looking at myself, looking inward and making the decision or make the decisions that I had made. They, they were my own. I was starting to own them. I'm the one that decided not to go to college and complete that. You know, I went for a year, big whoop. Uh, I, I, made the poor decisions in my business. I, I made the decision to convince my mom to to buy that van. I'm the one that decided I needed $1,700 a month in just car payments, that my mortgage payment at $4,500 a month was just fine. And why should I save for that rainy day or a tsunami for that matter? We'll burn money. It's fine because we're printing more tomorrow. I mean, that was the mentality. And so as all this was happening and unfolding in my life, I made that realization that, Huddy, John, you have made these decisions. You are the one that is responsible for your own actions. You got no one left but yourself you got to figure out how to fix this. And in this particular moment, is that's exactly what I decided to do. So I was going to do what it took. Part of what that took, I mean, I, I did some stuff that was crazy. I had my part-time bouncing job. And then I got a job. A friend of mine had a credit repair company, and she put me to work there, kind of part-time, not a lot of money, for a little bit. And I also donated plasma, which if you've ever donated plasma, maybe you've seen the commercials about how everyone is just so nice, and what a pleasant place that is to go, and it's so easy. It's not. Plasma centers are usually located in a very poor neighborhood. The air conditioning typically doesn't work. You spend half your day there, surrounded by homeless people, people wanting money for drugs and booze, people that smell, and you're donating your plasma for about 70 bucks every three or four days. But... It was something I could do to try to get some extra money together. So when I was working with my friend in the credit repair, we, you know, we realized we didn't work very well together. 
we're still friends, but we realized it didn't, it didn't work out. And because of the fact that I couldn't get a job doing anything else and the position that I was in with the support of a couple friends that I reached out to and my girlfriend, that is when Red Phoenix was born. I had to create a business to give myself a job and to give myself purpose. And I think that's the journey, the lesson that people have to take in and and realize that when you're in financial ruin, you really do have to truly admit to yourself that yes, this life, this financial life that I'm in really is unmanageable, which is easy for some, harder for others. But that you're the one that put yourself there. And if you want to get out, there are going to be people that are willing to help you. You just have to put your pride. You got to pack that up, put it away. That ego, throw that in there. Make sure there's room in that, in there for that ego and ask for help. You know, my friend who who gave me a shot to work with her at the credit repair company, I reached out to her and asked her if I could do that, if I could do anything around there. And when that didn't work out, I asked friends, can you help me? Specifically my buddy Charlie. My girlfriend. She was instrumental to helping me get this off the ground. And there's a lot more to it because that itself took a lot of work, but it gave me purpose. It gave me drive to try to make this comeback, something to do each and every single day, working towards a goal, getting that direction that I needed to put discipline back in my life, not having anything except memories of bad decisions. And so what I did is I would remember those decisions that I made in the past. You know, the old rear view mirror. Some people don't like to look or revisit the past, which nobody does because for a lot of us, there's a lot of pain. There's good memories back there too, but when you're thinking about Uh, decisions that you made that led to negative aspects of your life, that's a painful thing to do. So nobody wants to do it, but you have to, you have to look at your past so that you can learn from those mistakes and grow and do better the next time so that you can make progress going forward and not wind up in the same spot that you did before. Because That, as we know, is the definition of insanity, is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. 
So I would review my past, which I'm doing in this podcast too, bringing up a lot of memories and a lot of difficult things in my life that I did, um, decisions that I made, failures, many, many failures that I had, a lot of hardship that I went through that all led me to the company called Red Phoenix. So it's, it's just kind of an interesting thing when you, when you look at your life in, in review, when you were in those hard times, because you almost can laugh at yourself for the decisions that you made. You're like, you know, what was I, what was I thinking? You know, I think about, you know, I think, like I said, I think I had they're like seventeen or eighteen hundred dollars a month in car payments. That's more than people pay for their mortgage. That was just my cars. Yay! <laughs> that was a huge mistake. That was unnecessary. And even though at the time financially I could afford it rather easily, it I didn't need to. Because by having those things, I didn't have rainy day money because I was spending it on stupid things. You know, now, I mean, I drive a Ford Edge. I have a very manageable payment. The thing will be paid off fast because I paid like 22 or 23,000 bucks for it. I bought it used. I wasn't going to take the hit for a brand new car, even though I could. At this point in my life, I probably could go out and buy an Escalade or another Denali that sucks gas like crazy and and um, be super cool in a vehicle that's not necessary. So I bought a mid-size SUV to fit my kids and their stuff, fit my stuff, gets good gas mileage. The thing's bulletproof. I absolutely love it. I have my XM satellite. What else do I need? And it's black, you know, great. Payments are low. Interest rates low because I have good credit now. But I'm, I made that decision based on reviewing my life and rewind. Thinking about those excessive payments and how strapped I was and those cars going back after times got hard. And I still have hard times, but I don't sweat those payments nearly as bad as I did before. And that's one of the lessons that I learned after I got out of the, out of the shit, out of the weeds a little bit. So if you're thinking about just kind of where you're at, and it doesn't matter if you're going through divorce, if you're you know, trying to figure out these excessive car situations, you have IRS issues, back child support. You know, I've had all those things and more. That first step of admitting to yourself that you made these decisions, you got to figure out a way out of it and you need help to do so is crucial because if you continue to drive your own bus, you're just going to drive yourself deeper into debt. And you might get to a point where I was, where they come and pick up your stuff. 
all of it. And when I mean all of it, I mean all of it. I mean, my ex-wife took some of it, but, you know, people joke around. They give me a hard time. I wear, I wear flip-flops all the time. Like, in Minnesota, I wear them um, in the winter unless it gets below, like, 15 degrees. Then I might wear shoes. And I have extremely warm feet, but the the uh, the funny thing about that is I I was so poor at one point that I couldn't I couldn't afford shoot afford shoes. Well, truth be told, I I was in jail for a DWI, and they had given me they gave me flip flops in there. And when I got out of jail, my shoes were so crappy and beat up that. I thought, well, I'm just going to wear these jail flip-flops. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm going to do. And eventually they wore out, and it was summertime, so I got another pair of flip-flops, and I couldn't afford shoes because I was trying to get my act together and give whatever money I had to my ex-wife and, and still pay like what bills I could. And it was a rather warm... Um, winter we didn't we didn't get snow fast the temperature stayed up for a little bit and and long story longer it got to december and i still didn't have shoes i was wearing flip-flops my feet had just grown accustomed to colder weather so that my feet just didn't get cold and i made it that whole winter just wearing flip-flops except for when i'd have to go out and shovel i'd i'd find a pair of shoes at my grandpa's house or something that I'd wear to shovel for him. So, um, but to this day, I still wear the flip-flops. They're Olakai's and they're 140 bucks. So they're a little bit better quality than the $10 Walmart pair. But um, point being is that I understand what it's like to be, to be low and to have that ego, you know, that ego and that pride is so funny because I'm strolling around in a in a pair of flip flops in a nineteen ninety six Cadillac again, hundred and sixty thousand gently used miles. But I'm still too full of pride to want to accept help from anyone, right? Until I got to that to that point and looked inward and accepted the responsibility for the decisions that I made. It's a big deal. The next episode, we're going to move on from that. And a big segment of, of what next episode will be is we're going to talk about how exactly I eliminated that victim mentality out of my mind. How exactly did I, did I figure out that and, or how was I able to accept the responsibility and own the decisions that I made that landed me to that, to that extremely low point? If you ever have any questions, if you're on SoundCloud on my profile, my email is there. On Facebook, you can search Huddy. There is a new page there. You can find it. Any questions are anything like that, you can find me there. Twitter at delete bad credit email, John at red Phoenix Don't forget the CO. 
We'll check you next time.